and welcome again to The Right Idea, your place to discuss the people, politics, and policies that drive Texas. I'm your co-host, Brian Phillips. I'm the Chief Communications Officer here at the Texas Public Policy Foundation. And as always, I'm here with my co-host, our Vice President of Policy, Derek Cohen. How are, you, how are we doing today, Derek? Uh, I got to say, man, these, these allergies are not, uh, are, are not uh, the greatest at the moment. Welcome but, to Austin, uh, right? Yeah. I, hey, look on the bright side. If we have uh, South by starting up tomorrow mm-hmm. or starting up uh, this Friday, you know, at the very least, you're going to get an accurate representation of Austin when they come in. <laughs> not just not this this unmitigated, uh, unseasonably temperate. Uh, They'll understand that there's actually some cost other than the real cost of, uh, <laughs> yes. of moving to Austin. So uh, sessions going. Are we getting some sleep? Are we too tired? Or is there, are we ready for sunny day? Oh, ready for sunny day. Absolutely. But not before we start passing some good critical items of mm-hmm. conservative legislation, I'd say. And we're going to start seeing things on the floor starting, you know, we already have things on the Senate intent calendar. Yeah. So, you know, it's it's here. We're doing it. Well, and we're, you know, we're ready, rested, ready to go. And we're not allowed to complain in government, too. I mean, I found that now we're not technically a government agency, mm-hmm. although we do work in public policy. But I always found that when I worked in government, there were three rules, which were you weren't allowed to make any money. You weren't allowed to have any fun, and you weren't allowed to do anything other than work. And if any of your constituents or for the office that you worked for or any taxpayer anywhere uh, found out that you might be having a good time or doing something silly with, you know, your Twitter feed or something like that, it was just like constant uh, constant criticism, you know. Um, so anyway, so we'll keep our head down. We'll work hard, and, um, and we'll get through Absolutely. it Absolutely. Um, so a little bit of housekeeping, of course. Um, if you want to get in touch with Derek or I, we're, of course, out there on the Twitterverse, and we love your feedback. We love your ideas for show ideas, and we love your constructive criticism. Um, and even if it's just funny and uh, comments and, and um, uh, criticisms, we're happy to take all of those as well. On Twitter, I am at RealBphil, and Derek is at Cohen at CPPF. So we'd uh, love to hear from you as well. Uh, uh, shameless plugs. Definitely want to keep plugging uh, the, the weekly newsletter that we have where we We've taken all of the various uh, subjects that we work on and we put it together into one big email that comes out every Thursday. It's called The Post. And you can find that. You can sign up for that if you're not already on the list um, at texaspolicy.com slash The Post. And then, of course, all of these episodes you can find right on our YouTube page. Um, and, of course, with all of your major uh, podcasting services, uh, iTunes, Google Play, and such. So we have a do do a little uh, show recap. Um, we're going to have a very special in-depth this time. We're not going to necessarily break down an issue, um, and I'll explain that later, but we've got uh, an inter- a separate interview that I did on a, on a different podcast, which I wanted to feature uh, uh, for, for folks so they could watch that. On top topics, I think we're going we're gonna to go into, you know, there were, there were, Presidential candidates are, you know, falling all of themselves to come to Texas. One potential uh, big time, potential big time uh, presidential candidate was here in town over the last week. Uh, and of course, we had Vivek Ramaswamy, who was at, at a Texas Policy Summit, um, you know, and then we've got, you know, potentially even uh, Greg Abbott or somebody. Um, so it's, you know, they're, they're coming to Texas. So we talk about presidential politics for a little bit. Um, talk about some, um, you know, some some hackneyed um, uh, attacks by the left. We'll get into some of that as well uh, and see how far we can get. But, of course, we always start our, our show with Derek's update, our ledge land update. Um, and you said that we've got some bills, you know, flying through. We've got real legislation being submitted and committees getting together and cats and dogs and all the things. So tell us what's going on up at the Capitol. Well, specifically, it, it bears mentioning, you know, we talked about the 60-day window uh, a lot of times here on the show. And so what that essentially is is a constitutional prohibition that non-emergency items can't be substantively advanced uh, prior to 60 days. Well, it's here. 
You know, that 60 days is up on Friday. And also coming with that is the filing deadline. So long story short, what happens is Friday is going to come and at 6 p.m., the every non-local bill uh, essentially needs to be filed, needs to be in the hopper or it doesn't exist. Now, does that mean that some idea that's not in some bill somewhere is now completely banned from getting to the floor? Absolutely not. The only time that something is truly dead is, is after sign and die. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that being said, you know, we are actually seeing, like I said, things on the intent calendar now. So one of the items on the intent calendar actually were things that we had written about before. You know, we talked, you know, it was some consternation about the the federal push uh, post-Uvalde, mm. about how it was a profligate spending bill, didn't really do that much to address public safety. Uh, now that a profligate spending bill out of D.C. is something worth writing home about, you know, it seems to be, stop me if you heard Pretty this Every one. bill. Exactly. But one of the things that we said that it did well was opening the NICS system for otherwise disqualifying information that might have come from a juvenile source, right? Mm. And so a lot of the upload systems that they have in the states don't necessarily uh, have means of compatibility with that. Mm-hmm. This one of the bills going through right now that's, you know, that would be under the, the school safety emergency item would fix that. It would streamline how certain issues that come up through our uh, juvenile mental health courts or even juvenile courts can get into Nick. So that's actually a very good public safety bill that should be out of the Senate here momentarily. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the priority bills. And so that is obviously a, a, um, uh, a subject that a lot of people watch. You know, you had uh, Dan, uh, Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick mm-hmm. put out his full list, his, yes. you know, one through 30. Now, there's not always legislation attached to those yet, but mm-hmm. he basically tells you what his priorities are um, going into the legislative session. The House has a different, and the Speaker has a different way of doing that. You talk a little bit about that and maybe, um, and talk about what the strategy perhaps would sure. be behind doing something like that. Sure. And, and- and, and and to be honest with you, I mean, even though, you know, the lieutenant governor has enumerated, you know, 30 bills to be his priority items, and some of those still do not actually have text or they don't have, um, you know, they don't actually have an author and that stuff designated. Now, that means it's not going to happen between now and Friday at 6 p.m. No, it doesn't mean that. But what it means probably is this is speaks to the issues we identified before is that ledge council is really, really behind the ball on this one through through some fault of their own through a lot of environmental uh, difficulties as well but needless to say is getting something in and out of ledge council has been trying this this year you know much like it was last year uh, last session as well now that being said you know we definitely had the subject matter for every single one of those 30 whereas on the speaker side is when one files he declares it an emer- not an emergency item, but a priority item usually by assigning a low bill number, even though we had one, the one about the library content standards for schools, mm-hmm. uh, kept its original filing bill number of 900. Uh, we usually see that a bill's filed and then it moves into one of those slots. So that's kind of some of the yeah. sausage making maybe people don't, don't didn't know. I didn't know that that was a thing. Like, yeah. you know, I just assumed right. that that the members would, or that the, the leaders would have their bills, right. you know, members, and then they, you know, go crazy with with their legislative. But, but you can move those bills into the priority bills. That's right. got to be a big win. I mean, it's Again, it's kind of inside baseball, but that's got to be a really big win for 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 the the rank and file if the leader is moving the yeah. bill into the one of the priority bills. Absolutely, and I don't want to speak for the speaker. <laughs> I don't want to speak for the speaker, um, but I think that it's a lot it, in the Senate. You know, the lieutenant governor uh, 
you know, definitely has a more cohesive vision uh, of running a chamber with 31 members than I think it'd be possible for the speaker to have with 149 other members. Mm -hmm. And so when it comes to everything from the prioritization and negotiation to, you know, everything from the strategic to the tactical level, I think there's a lot more uh, a lot more boxes to be checked for the speaker uh, than exist across the uh, across the foyer just because there's it's just that much larger of a chamber. And in doing so, you know, elevating a particular solution to a problem, you know, might seem to steal focus from a different solution to a problem. And then you, like, are you engendering then any sort of discontent between those two uh, mm-hmm. members? Whatever the case may be, it's just a lot more harder to herd 149 cats than 31. Um, and and by the time that this airs, and and like you said, the filing deadline is Friday, mm-hmm. uh, which is to, which is uh, you know obviously at the end of the week and after we record these podcasts. Um, and so a lot of these questions will be answered by then. But uh, you know because it's and we're TPPF and we're contractually obligated to talk about school choice every 11 minutes. <laughs> um, you know really there, there's a lot of anticipation about SB8, uh, which would be the vehicle for. Or the parent empowerment bill, um, and so you know, what are you hearing behind the scenes at all about uh, about that bill? And and are, are people getting geared up and ready to to have the big the big debate right over this issue? Well, I, I think it's it's coming. I mean, there's no there's no doubt about that. There's no doubt about that. But I, I think we're gonna find out on Friday. You know what, guys? Well, uh, we're gonna punt this one. L O L J K. Yeah, <laughs> no, kidding. Uh, no, no, no. I move on to property tax. Uh, I was about to say, if you just, I mean, and you and listeners can go to our uh, YouTube just to see the the keynote addresses, both from the governor mm-hmm. uh, and lieutenant governor, and, and speaker and, and speaker. And I do not want to put words in anybody's mouth, but uh, for those who wish to see uh, school choice. Uh, uncategorically fail without any sort of movement in that direction, it would be very deleterious for those individuals to start planning their summers at the moment. <laughs> so that being said, is I think that you're going to start seeing folks come to the table. I think the 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 version that we're going to see on file is probably going to be, you know, a very, very good version. Mm-hmm. But again, you know, when you need, you know, a majority of 149 votes, you need a majority of 30, uh, of 31 votes. You know, and and of course the the threshold to spend the rules as well. You know, there's going to need to be some you know some negotiations, some conference. So, will the bill that's filed be the one that passed? Uh, that I probably wouldn't say so. Sure. Will it still be? I think with what we're seeing out there and the momentum we see behind it, will it still be a very good bill? I'd feel absolutely confident that it will be. And then property tax, of course, is the other the other big issue. Um, hearing hearing actually seeing a lot of public debate, honestly, yes. about that um, about what's funny how be. it works, huh? Yeah, a lot of public debate. Well, you know, then there's always social media and Twitter and you get members going back and forth and lobbyists are hitting each other and, um, you know, slapping each other with, with flip-flops or whatever they do. Um, Very Singapore parliament. <laughs> so, uh, uh, um, so, but property tax, um, it, it feels like we're, we're starting to coalesce around at least an idea of, of what that's going to look like, certainly the number. Um, but you're hearing a lot from, we mentioned last week, you're hearing a lot of this idea of structural reform yes. so that we're not back here in another five years dealing with these property tax bills. We want to get something done that is actually lasting. Yeah. And, you know, you've you've heard, again, if you just look from what was said from our main stage at TPS, mm. You know, we Sam's plug number four, I think. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. I don't know about you, but I talked to Greg about getting paid by the by the plugs. <laughs> oh, wait, I suppose you're a comms guy. It should be your job. Yeah, absolutely. No, um, but no, I mean, just again, I I really love the format. The fact that we had uh, 
the big three, because it allowed us really to give them a forum to say, this is what I want to accomplish this session. Mm -hmm. Now, the biggest thing specifically in property taxes is that we've seen that the there is a schism. You know, there is a divide in the idea between the House and the Senate. Now, a divide in the way of go agreeing that something's a problem and disagreeing about the solution between the two chambers that we just call that Thursday. You know, that's not <laughs> you know, there's there's dozens of items in which that happens. Uh, every session. But the fact that we're out there, we're having those discussions, you know, I, it, I'm i confident in point say, will there be property tax relief this year? Yes. Will it be, you know, sizable? Yes. Will it be the largest in Texas history? Very well may be. Mm -hmm. The question, though, again, is going to revolve around what is the mechanism whereby that is delivered? And that is where, you know, you mentioned the public debate. This is how it's supposed to happen. Right. This is how it's supposed right. to happen. And, you know, there are advantages to the House plan. There are advantages to the Senate plan and each have their disadvantages as well. And those are what need to be aired out in public. Uh, and, of course, all of the committee hearings are all um, streamed live so people can watch, mm -hmm. you know, I literally watch the, the sausage being made uh, mm -hmm. on that. So, um, you know, we, we could we could prognosticate about um, legislative um, twists and turns all day. But again, if you uh, if you do have questions, I would just reach out to, to Derek on social media because he's uh, he's the, the guy behind the curtain sometimes and and knows what's going on there. So if you have not it's kind of like, you know, the, like a, like a fantasy football tips, you know, like everybody <laughs> wants your wants your tips, your political tips. Patrick um, Mahomes is my lock of the week, you know. Uh, so we could talk about we could talk about that all day. I want to get to some, um, you know, we we talk a lot a lot about um, heavy policy issues, and that's kind of the point of this podcast because we, you know, we are a think tank. We want to talk about the ideas, and we don't really get into the politics a lot of times. But but it is interesting, and so it makes we want to, you know, we talk about the policies and politics that drive uh, Texas, um, and and certainly presidential politics uh, is one of those things. Um, you know, we have a Democrat in office in the White House right now, which means it's an open you know, floor essentially as to who the nominee is going to be, which makes it our, which makes the Republican side of things more exciting. Mm -hmm. And so every little thing that happens, whether it's, you know, Donald Trump tweeting something, or I guess he can't tweet, but mm -hmm. Donald Trump saying something, or, something or we're having, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy or Nikki Haley or whoever jump into the race. Um, and then, of course, Ron DeSantis, who everybody says is, is one of the front runners. He, of course, was in Texas uh, this last week. Um, and he was here, you know, obviously pitching, you know, his book and things like that, um, but also kind of kind of staking out his case uh, for perhaps why he might jump into to a race. And one of those things, you know, is one of the things that really came out of the speech, I thought, um, was that was his message to conservatives about fighting. And that really seems to be, you know, one of the things that he's going to be to be branding himself with. Um, uh, let me just re I'll read you the quote that was reported. Let me tell you, Republicans, you've got to stop le uh, letting the left cow us into not doing the right thing because they're going to call us names. And being the comms guy, look, you know, looking at the at, at the rhetoric and the, the messaging uh, that both sides use, this is something that happens all of the time. Is that there's that there for whatever reason the left always starts to claim that the right is mean spirited. Right. Is that, that is that their intent is to be mean or cruel to people. That is one of their basic fundamental attacks um, on conservatives and on the right. And the fact is, is it works. It does. It does because independents respond to it. Moderates respond to it. And they don't want to be mean spirited. Heck, conservatives don't want to be mean spirited. Mm -hmm. um, and so it does cower sometimes, unfortunately, uh, conservatives from fighting for their values and their principles right. because they don't because they get called names or don't want to be called names. So I thought that was a good message. Yeah, and let me and let me yes and that, and I don't think it's to the point where it's like we have a good faith disagreement, and you know there are people that you know retreat to a, 
rhetorical excess or rhetorical flourish, and that flourish then gets uh, painted as such. What I think is the issue is that there are individuals on the left, and this does not all of them, but there are individuals on the left who just don't want the debate to happen. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes to debating the merits of something, if you have to, you know, define your terms like what is a woman, you know, prior to actually engaging in a debate, <laughs> then it really kind of it kind of lays bare the, you know, the lack of merit many of these de- many of these issues have, and it's a whole lot easier to shut down a debate than it is to actually to to, to win in one, mm-hmm. and I think that a lot of folks are. I, I think Governor DeSantis is absolutely correct when. You know, there's so many well-meaning. I come from the Midwest, so obviously a lot of folks in the Midwest are, you know, nice to a fault, and you know they just don't like. There's is that really their reputation? That's what I'm going to believe at least. <laughs> no, uh, but but that being said, is it? Uh, but basically, an aversion to controversy, I think we'd okay. say. Right. And so there's a lot of folks where you know they'll say, I, you know, I, you know, I don't want to be mean, but this. Seems kind of, but you know what? It really doesn't affect me directly. So why why do I even really need to pay attention? And and yeah. and Governor DeSantis has fought some of the biggest fights. I mean, he's he's fought um, you know a lot of the cultural fights yeah. and come out on the other end. Uh, and of course, he won you know a landslide reelection. Mm-hmm. So he is certainly one who can speak from experience that you can fight these fights, you can do the right thing, uh, and then you can come out on the other side victorious. Um, so just also just kind of getting your you know things are yeah. kind of warming up. I mean, it's already you know March. I mean, this time next. Next year, we'll have. I mean, this will be Super Tuesday. I think we'll be we'll be in the middle of it. Um, we'll have Super Tuesday in the middle of March next week, uh, next year. We'll have already had Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina by now. I mean, and you know, and so things are, are moving that direction. What what is your your take on how you think the uh, the Republican primary at least is gonna is gonna shape up? Well, I I think, and again, this is this is just rank punditry. So uh, yeah, buckle yeah, up. Sure. Um, I I, I hot I, takes. Look <laughs> out. Exactly. I do think there is a bit more of a flavor for a populist message. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we need a, a conservative, um, a conservative national industrial policy or anything, anything radical like that. But I think that we've seen president after president really couch the power of the state in an us versus them uh, mentality, though, of course, obviously we have much more recent examples of the state being weaponized against folks specifically uh, in COVID. Mm. And, you know, and that's one thing that I think, you know, Governor DeSantis and, you know, former President Trump, if they're both in at the same time, are going to have to square each other's rhetoric on because one was a governor uh, and one was a president during a time of national declared emergency. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember reading about uh, the governor, uh, Governor DeSantis's um, uh, part of his speech said, I stood in the way. And in doing so, you know, stood in the way of what? Well, a lot of those were some of those policies that existed at the federal level. Now, look, you, you and I have talked ad nauseum about how, you know, the federal bureaucracy is a completely unchecked, you know, leviathan unto itself. So whether this falls, you know, directly squarely on the shoulders of President Trump is, a, a, you know, a bit of a secondary issue. Mm-hmm. But that being said is you cannot argue that Governor DeSantis did not, you know, push back on a lot of those excesses that even some of his own state statute allow. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's going to be a lot of examination of track records. Uh, Also, I think that the ideas that get entered into there are going to be mostly ones of, you know, ones of a federalist bent. In other words, you're going to compare track records of states. There are going to be state records that have shown a lot of growth over the last couple of years. There's going to be state records that showed a lot of stymieing over the last couple of years. And I think that as titular figureheads 
of those states, the various governors that are in the race uh, will have to answer that. Now, as far as uh, outsiders, you mentioned, uh, you know, Vivek Ramaswamy. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I I think that young man, you know, has a powerful message. It is a very common sense message. It resounds with a lot of folks. You know, I, I think that's kind of this usual outsider quandary is that he doesn't have that baked in constituency that right. he already has. Right. But I've, I've just heard a lot of people say, oh, that, that guy really impresses me. That guy yeah. really impresses me, which not a lot of outsiders come in with that kind of cachet. And, and you know, the, the difficult thing, I think, for outsiders is, um, you know, even if they have a great message and they have a great strategy for getting on, you know, news programs and getting getting heard, you still have to do the brass tacks. You still have to do the nuts and bolts of campaigning, which is you have to build, you know, particularly in the first four states, you have to build a field operation. You have to demonstrate uh, the ability to raise money. I mean, I know a lot of people think that Donald Trump got into the race because he's super rich and he can say, oh, I don't have to worry about it. The fact is the man raised a lot of money. He raised a lot of small donors, mm-hmm. uh, uh, small dollars, uh, which is an indication that actual human beings are willing to give you their money, which means they're willing to give you their vote. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, even though he's a rich guy, too, and he could say, well, you know, money's no object, I can run, you still have to demonstrate that right. people support you. And the only thing we have be- to judge any of that right now, between now and, and you know, February 1st and the Iowa caucuses, um, is people showing up to your events uh, and people giving you money. And mm-hmm. so, you know, unless he and others, you know, Nikki Haley and others can demonstrate that they will have actual support from real human beings and not just the ability to spend a bunch of money and get on Fox News, uh, then um, then it'll be difficult for them to move you, forward. You st- as, uh, as, our, as our friend Senator Whiting always says, you still have to go to Tom's Ice Cream in Spirit Lake, Iowa to... Uh you know, the court, the voter. As a former senator from from that great state, mm. uh, he would certainly know. You know, one of the things, getting back to uh, DeSantis's message um, about fighting and not being called names, you know, that's going on right here in the Texas legislature. And of course, you know, there's always something uh, every legislature where um, the the left will try and and make it seem like uh, the the right is being mean spirited about something and try to reframe it. Um, the last few sessions, it's always been some sort of you know anti-gay legislation. I mean, even even when I think last session when we were doing um, uh, um, what was the the pay issue uh, for paid sick leave, you know, instead of that issue being about whether or not, you know, uh, workers and, and, and employers can negotiate their own benefits, that got turned into something, oh, well, you're trying to deny, you know, gay couples from being able to treat their, you know, their, their partners and all of that. So there's always something there. And, and this year, um, it's just gone, it's just gone crazy because, uh, because almost, it seems like there's one, there's one group uh, who advocates for, for gay rights claiming that there's 90 pieces of legislation that have been filed. Uh, that are supposedly anti-gay, and I'm obviously not going to go through some of those, but I think it's worth, you know, b- looking at this issue um, because, frankly, it's just false. I mean, I, I think absolutely that that a number of these issues, um, you know, obviously there's the the bill to protect ki- to protect kids uh, from these uh, from these uh, transgender surgeries and these puberty blockers and that kind of thing. Obviously, it's focused on kids, mm-hmm. um, and that there's absolutely nothing about whether a kid's gay or straight or what have you. This is about protecting kids and making sure that, um, you know, they don't do something irreversible right. um, uh, to them. But, you know, like, um, I mean, there's other, I mean, the drag shows, you know, again, that's about kids mm. uh, not um, uh, not allowing them to uh, be at these performances, which are, you know, overly sexualized, highly sexualized. Um, and then anyway, so there's just there's just a ton of these that have nothing to do with with whether or not you're gay and have a lot to do with in most cases with protecting children and making sure that they're not exposed to inappropriate adult, highly sexualized material. Right.
No, I, I completely agree. And let me let me preface this by saying I have you know many friends who are, are gay and trans. Um, this is one of the most pernicious uh, practices on the left that tends to actually be abated by the media as well. You know, obviously, if you again going back to Governor DeSantis, you know he he uh, pushed for a bill that you know kept basically sexual content out of grades three and below. And of course, they said, "Oh, this is the don't say gay bill. This is the don't say gay bill." And the thing is, they make they make this shorthand for it, and then it gets picked up by journalists here, who again know better that this has nothing to do with you know, erasing people from existence or you know keep it, but saying that matters of sexual nature that w- that has never been seen as appropriate for a classroom of that age group prior to still is thus, right? And so that's one of the things where it's becoming really tiresome. You know, and this whole thing and this whole fiction of the fact that having discussions about these issues or having any sort of decency standards that we want to have uh, for our children is essentially leading to people uh, committing suicide, that is just absolutely false. The fact that you don't want to have completely unproven medical experiments performed on children mm-hmm. because their uh, parents at the age of three thought, saw them playing with a, a, the doll not, uh, you know, not uh, specific to their to their sex is, is, is absolutely ridiculous. You know, the idea of gender and again, not sex, but gender as a as a social construct, you know, it exists within the lifetime of people that are alive today. Yeah. So the fact that all of a sudden now we have folks who want to have this imperious view of you're going to refer to gender as such and I can, you know, I can change it on the fly. You know, I can call an auto, you know, like like Peyton Manning going up and calling Omaha and now he's, you know, Peytina Manning. That's not how this works. And the fact that, like, you don't get to call people names for not, you know, for not, uh, agreeing with your, you know, revisionist history, not even revisionist history, revisionist account of the present. But it goes back to your point about trying to shame people into silence, essentially, right? And I mean, you know, two other bills that get called out as anti-gay all the time is, of course, the books in schools, right? right? Which is just, it's just sexualized, it's just sexual material. I mean, there's one, there's one, you know, apologies to our audiences, but there's one that that, that depicts a graphic rape between a man and a a young girl. Um, You know, that's not gay, but it's also completely inappropriate Mm -hmm. for, you know, sixth graders to be having access to that inform- or to that um, uh, to that type of content much less be having it be assigned to them uh, by teachers and then of course the other one is um, is boys playing girls sports right you know that clearly is a safety issue I mean you know um, uh, in a number of, of uh, a number of different ways but also it's also a fairness issue I mean again it has absolutely nothing to do where no one is saying that that uh, gay kids can't play these sports I mean that that of course would be an anti-gay bill this has to do absolutely with uh, not just uh, safety issues but also in issues of fairness and folks like Riley Gaines, who's uh, you know become a real advocate for this, a very um, you know very courageous person to stand up for this, particularly while she's you know in school, um, um, you know that's why they're standing up for this because this is about women's sports and protecting women's sports. Um, so anyway, to your point again about um, you know it really is it's 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 shameful, um, and, but it's just something we have to you know to to DeSantis's point, you got to fight him. Yeah, you, you got to find one of these issues. And and I, and I would just add to the, to the listeners who might be dispirited or might feel like, no, I I, I don't want to fight them. It's just not worth my try. It's like if your sense of self worth is defined what the most zealous advocates on the other side of the issue say about you, then I mean that's this you know, and not even just in you know the sphere of public policy debate. This is not some, you know, that is not a place to be. Mm-hmm. You know, your your intrinsic self sense of self worth needs to be intrinsic.
All right, well, we have a special, moving on to the last segment, we usually do our in-depth segment where we really break down and get into the, the, uh, the, the ins and outs and the weeds of, of public policy. But I had an opportunity this week uh, to sit down with a very, a very interesting woman with a great story to tell. Uh, her name is Lauren Hickmott. Uh, she is a former sixth grade teacher from Amarillo. Uh, a few years ago, she got back into education as a tutor. And almost immediately, she noticed that something was off and that the days when um, when she used to teach uh, uh, academics, something was very, very different. Uh, for starters, the math homework looked a lot like the old Common Core curriculum, which apparently, which, as we know, it was banned in Texas during during all that time. So it started, you know, that was kind of her first red flag. The second one, which was even stranger, uh, was that kids weren't bringing their reading assignments home. So they were only doing the reading assignments at um, uh, at school. And so it was, it was odd that, you know, that wasn't going to be part of, of, you know, what she helped kids with. Um, so she started asking questions, uh, and frankly, she was appalled. Um, and we all kind of know where the story is going. She was appalled at what she found going on in her schools. Um, I taped an interview with Lauren from my other podcast that you can download and subscribe to called Brian's Breakdown. Uh, you can also find that on YouTube or iTunes and Google Play. Uh, so for in-depth, I want to share the portion of Lauren's story right now. Here, check it out. What was kind of the first thing that said, something's off here? Well, um, this past September, we started a new math curriculum called Eureka, and um, it was the most confusing way to present math I've ever seen. I um, was like, this is Common Core Curriculum Math, mm -hmm. which is illegal in the state of Texas. Mm -hmm. And I've so, heard that in a long time, Common yes, Core. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. So I was very frustrated with Eureka. And um, at the time, um, we also, Amarillo, had started using um, a new reading curriculum called Amplify Reading. And I hadn't heard anything about Amplify. Um, nothing had come home with my kids. Um, and so parents were clueless, like nothing was coming home. Mm. I have friends with younger kids and they were saying that books were no longer coming home and they used to always get books home to read with their kids, you know, and you, know how you do your little reading log. Sure. Yeah. Books were not coming home and um, they it just kind of was weird. But like we were trusting our school because we love our school mm. and we love our teachers. And so we and we just kind of felt like Amarillo was in a bubble like what all the woke mess in the rest of the country has not hit us yet. Sure. Like what we were thinking. Yeah, so, right. Um, anyway, so we, um, yeah, so it was just nothing was coming home. Hmm. And so, um, but this was early September when I first found out about some what was going on. And so that's when I started doing some research. Did they outlaw homework? Uh, they they weren't <laughs> having homework, like at least my son was, and he was in fourth grade. And, and I've, you know, you talk to enough parents, that's a real, I mean, that's a real opportunity as a parent, you know, not only to see the what's going on in schools and, and all of that, to see what they're learning, but an opportunity to help, an opportunity to facilitate and to reinforce the lessons that are being taught in the classroom at home, making sure that they're being done. And so that's a, that's a real, that's a head scratcher. That's going to be a real red flag for a lot of parents. Like plenty of math homework. Like that took forever. And I mean, we loved each other, but we didn't always like each other doing because I was trying to teach him the right way to do it, you know. Mm -hmm. But um, but no, it was a lot of math homework, but no reading. Like I saw nothing from Amplify. So, even on my radar. so you start to get a little bit more involved. Mm -hmm. uh, tell us about, you know, what was your, the, the actions so, that you took to figure out why the books weren't coming home? So, well, um, I ran into another mom um, at her garage sale and she said, have you heard about 
um, the guava passage that they did and I, that our kids read. And I was like, no. So she started telling me about it. And I was like, you've got to be kidding because it was just super inappropriate. Guava like the fruit guava. Guava the okay. fruit, yes, which is other things apparently. So I um, did some research. I got access um, and um, specifically started looking at fourth grade because mm-hmm. that's where my son is. Um, and so I found the guava passage that had been talked about and um, second day of school they did a passage called a good lie that talked about and it literally said in quotes sometimes it's okay to lie and so it was teaching kids about protecting this little girl protecting her friend who wet the bed at a slumber party Hmm. and then she was pretending she wet the bed too and i'm like that's weird why are we reading about that that's just weird and then just saying subject matter but then also the lesson yes the lesson says sometimes it's okay to lie and then one time we were getting on to my son and my fourth grader about something he didn't tell the truth on. And he said, well, sometimes it's okay to lie. I said, uh, no, sir. I mean, because yeah. he knows better than that. He was right. just pulling one that he you know, heard at school. So it's just that undermining parents mm-hmm. and like we hadn't had access. I want to get to that in a second. But mm-hmm. I think you, you've had our, our audience uh, at the edge of their seat now teasing this guava passage. Yes. Like to the best of your ability and, and not to use graphic language necessarily. Yes. But can you explain exactly or, you know, for our um, audience what that was? Yeah. So it was the beginning of, a, of an adult book um, called When I Was a Puerto Rican. And it's uh, this lady writing about, I guess, when she came to the United States from Puerto Rico um, as a little girl. And they op- she opens up the book talking about how to eat a guava. And it is very just sensory, like just very graphic. And they even in the teacher lesson plan, it's scripted. It said to have a student at the front of the classroom, like holding a guava and actually acting out and fingering the guava as this other student or the teacher read this passage. And these are, it's all very sexual in nature. Mm-hmm. And Oh, yes. Oh, yes. And if you look it up on Urban Dictionary, I mean, it tells you what a guava represents. So now you found out, now you, you've gotten sort of behind the wall um, and you're starting to see this material, The you know, you're now confirming it, your son's coming home with the mm-hmm. material. W- was there any attempt to then take this to the teachers who were there? You said there were some teachers who felt very uncomfortable yeah. about it and maybe they were talking about it on social media. What about the people in charge? Well, they were, Emerald ISD um, hosted a few um, town hall meetings um, because there was had already you doing that in finger quotes for those oh, who yeah. are listening. So I showed up. I was the only parent at this specific meeting. But like I said, nobody knew right. this is where you go to talk about it. We just thought it was going to be, or at least that was my understanding. So when I told this lady, I said I was told this was a place to come and I could talk about my concerns about one of the passages my son was exposed to. She goes, "Don't tell me it's about that freaking guava." And I said. Yes, it is. And so... Sounds like she's heard that before. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Heard that complaint before. uh Uh-huh. And she was tired of hearing it. But Mm. we discussed it again. And she said, said, the kids were not exposed to the rest of the book. And I said, it doesn't matter. I said, you've connected these kids to that. There's not another book where they could use that, teach that lesson, whatever. That's what I asked. I said, I guarantee you in all of children's literature, there was an appropriate book to teach about sensory details that was not that. But I just think it shouldn't take us getting this upset to have anything like listened to or changed um i know uh, the huge group of us parents and teachers have spoken at um our local board meetings um just trying to get you know things moving on this um but i just as far as like the legislators i think it's important to like 
you know, listen to parents. And I do think um, parents, I mean, absolutely want what's best for their kids. I know my kids and um, and I would love for my kids to be able to stay in public school. But if that trust isn't there, then my kids are not going to be there. And I feel like our local school district has lost a lot of parents' trust. Um, we pulled our kids out at semester, and I quit my job for the district at semester, and we found a free you know, public. Because of these reasons. Because that, of these okay, reasons. Okay, that's an important because, point is that you weren't just yes, making a shift. No, we didn't want to. There were a lot of tears um, and a lot of prayer, and uh, we did not want to. And um, my kids have been awesome sports about it um, and have, you know, they've struggled, but they've been great sports. But it just is one of those things when we met with, um, we were told that we would have options. Um, Amarillo ISD said, okay, well, we're going to clean it up. We're going to go ahead and vet the curriculum. And that was the thing is it wasn't vetted before. And they said it was because they piloted it in these three elementary schools. And they said, we never heard anything bad about it. Well, that's not true because at a recent board meeting, one of the teachers who had spoken up against it and was let go, she spoke up about it and said, this is what happened to me when I tried to speak out against it. When she it was fired? Um, she, I don't know how exactly it played out, mm-hmm. but she was not at the school anymore mm-hmm. after she spoke out. So I don't know if they moved her or whatever happened, but she, um, her life was made misery. You know, mm-hmm. she was out um, because she spoke against it. And that was during the piloting process. So when parents started speaking up, um, our superintendent said this was the first time he had ever heard anything negative about this new curriculum. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't know how all that worked out but I do know that he's hearing warnings now mm-hmm. and um, and their solution was like well let's just take out the parts of the curriculum that are getting the most heat well that's not going to fix it because the cancer is throughout mm-hmm. and like I told him I said it's like you're not going to load up a bunch of passengers on a plane that's malfunctioning and then read the manual about how to fix it while they're in the air I said that's exactly what's going on mm-hmm. said so you need to ground the plane you need to scrap it and figure out something else because this isn't like we know that this is untrustworthy right and so um there have been um the waiting lists at the optional schools in amarillo besides public schools have exploded Mm -hmm. because parents are catching on the word is spreading and we've lost trust there's going to be a mass exodus of teachers as well Mm -hmm. like i i'm friends with a lot of teachers just all over the district and um they're not happy Um, Now, I will say there are some teachers that love Amplify. They think it's wonderful because of the rigor and because of the, um, uh, like, pre-made kind of lesson planning, you know, which being a teacher, I get. Like, it's hard to reinvent the wheel every day. Like, I get that. And you don't always have to, but sometimes it just is a lot of work. But at the same time, like, it, not at this cost. You know, this isn't, I'm surely there's a better curriculum out there that is more rigorous than what we had before because what we had before was not working. But um, not at this cost, though. So I, I hate to go out on a bad note, so I won't do that. But yeah. I'll say um, it sounds at least like like you've been able to make a make a change, make a you know a, a different choice. You know, how do you think if if lawmakers did change the law and gave parents more choice, um, you know, how do you think that would work out for most parents? Um, I think I mean I don't like I said I don't know all the ins and outs, but I can personally just say for me it it sounds like a good plan. Um, because like I said, parents know their kids and know what's best for their kids. Um, and I mean, I think it would be great if they just didn't take the government, just didn't take our money out in the first place and then redistribute it into Mm -hmm. education. If they just 
let us have it to begin with. I think that'd be great. I mean, you can decide um, what yes, you to do with yes. It. But I mean, um, I don't. I'm not a legislator, so I don't know. But um, but yeah, I think that competition would be helpful um, for schools to kind of hopefully up their game and do better. Because right now, I feel like the school districts aren't very afraid. Um, maybe they are, but I feel like they're continuing forward, even though they've had all this backlash. So. I think well, giving parents a choice is a good thing. You're busy. So. You're working hard. You're raising your family. And, you know, you don't have to know all the ins and outs necessarily of this legislation, but your story is incredibly powerful mm-hmm. for moving um, in the right direction when it comes to these these, uh, you know, these bills and these, these reforms. So thank you so much yeah. uh, for what you do. Again, we've been talking with uh, Lauren Hickmott uh, of Amarillo. She's a teacher. She's a very concerned parent. And she's out here again uh, um, uh, talking to folks as a, as a warning to parents about what's going on in the schools, but also as motivation uh, to, to lawmakers to get out there and do the right thing. Lauren, thank you so much. For parents being- to pay attention. <laughs> If you want to hear the full interview, again, it's on my podcast called Brian's Breakdown, available on iTunes, uh, Google Play, and all the major services. Thank you again for watching The Right Idea, and as always, do good and suffer the consequences.